Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. How are you doing? You all right? I'm all right. I'm all right. How's your weekend? How's things going up in uh, Edinburgh? It, it was great. I'm back now. I'm back in London. Oh, I came okay. back yesterday. I was there for a week. Uh, it was good. It was good. It was like, I mean, I wasn't performing, so it was kind of weird. I felt like, mm. you know, Arsenal in bygone transfer windows, kind of watching everyone else have fun, uh, but not really being that involved myself. But it was it was great. And do you know what? What? I mean, I, this, I feel like this has become like weathercast, but it was so cool up there. Whoa, it rained. It was cold. I could wear a jacket. I, I was embracing that element of it. Right. Did you just hear that noise? What was that noise? Did you hear it? it it's, I've got a motorbike in the room with me. Was, was it that sort of thing? Was, it was kind of like a low droning swooping thing. I thought it might be like a spaceship or something but no Maybe, clearly the, not the problem is i've got headphones in so what if it is a spaceship and i just haven't heard it is that a, a real risk here it is it is it could be hovering over london like in v remember all the spaceships yeah. just hovered over the cities and then the lovely people came down they said hey we're great we're good aliens don't worry about it and then they started eating rats and babies and stuff fucking aliens you just you just can't trust an alien can you no, and I bet at first they were just eating the rats and everyone was like, this is great. They're clearing up a pest and then they came for the babies. Mm. It was like, ah, oh, it could have been so good. You know could, what I mean? They just went and they couldn't They couldn't do without eating babies. I know. If, I, if only they'd been more discerning in their culinary choices than us and the aliens could have got along. Yeah. Have you seen any aliens in Dublin at the weekend? No. No, no, we've had a surprisingly alien-free weekend uh, here in Dublin. Oh. It's bank holiday weekend, and it is uh, it is quite nice. Still warm. We haven't had the cool and the rain like you had up in uh, in Edinburgh. So, um, no, it's it's all been okay. I didn't see our final um, warm-up game of of preseason against Lazio on Saturday night. Did I you- actually despite being at the Edinburgh Festival, did watch it. Right. Um, I, I think I missed about fifteen minutes in the second half. But it wasn't uh, particularly thrilling. Let's put it like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true of most of our preseason games. They haven't been particularly thrilling. Interesting to see him or to hear about him, certainly because I didn't see it, start <laughs> with a, a 4-4-2 and then expand on why he changed that. I think we spoke about this last week, didn't we, or the other week, where it's really refreshing to hear him talk about things from a, a tactical viewpoint 
Um, what did you make of the the attempt at a four four two? I mean, it was I think uh, was it Lacazette and Eddie and Kedia starting? Yeah, up it, it was. I mean, I suppose that he's got his reasons for selecting the personnel he selects, but I couldn't help but think if he was going to try a four four two you kind of wanted to see Lacazette and Aubameyang together, you know, because that is the partnership that that we're all crying out for. So I suppose it wasn't the fairest test of that system. He had Shaka and Torreira as his his pair of holding midfielders behind that. And, you know, there's a certain amount of balance there. You could see a logic to it. But he has tried other systems in pre-season and it's been interesting to see that. You know, he's used 4-4-2, he's used three at the back. But invariably, he does come back to some kind of Four three three four two three one variant, mm. and it feels like that that is going to be his preference going into the new season. What do you make of that kind of tactical fiddling, if you like, in preseason? Mm. You know what 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 has it done for him? What will it have served him to have tried a four four two, to have tried three at the back? Is it just to get it in the minds of the players that they might need to be tactically flexible in in certain games? But if his preferred formation is this. Um, four, two, three, one, whatever it is. Um, you know, would he not have been better off drilling them completely with that system? What do you think? I guess so. I mean, what, one thing I do wonder is: is he a manager who likes to change system at times within games if something's not mm. working? You know, with Arsene Wenger, a lot of the time it was a question of well, I'm going to bring on more attackers, but I'm sort of going to keep them vaguely in the same shape that they're already in. Just put a striker in right wing, a striker in left wing. But maybe he's thinking, you know, down the line, if I'm chasing a goal, I would like to go to two central strikers. That's something we've been crying out for Arsenal to be able to do as an option within games. And I wonder if that's part of the process to be like, that there'll be plenty of time for them to bed in this 4-2-3-1, but I want to be able to switch to a system that I know works and see how these players cope with that. So I think it has to be regarded as a positive thing. And, you know, maybe if it had been a glorious success in the first half against Lazio, maybe he would be con- contemplating using it in the Premier League, but it, it wasn't particularly. Right. Uh, and I suppose that shouldn't be a great surprise, should it, when, you, when, when you're only playing it for 45 minutes and you haven't done it for about 10 years. Yeah, he talked about the, the need for more control in the centre of midfield as mm-hmm. one of the reasons why he went with a three-man midfield in the second half. I think he brought on uh, Genduzzi, uh to 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 uh, to add an extra body into that midfield. But what were, what were your impressions of Torreira and Xhaka together and certainly Torreira uh, in terms of what he might bring to the team? Again, with the caveat, it is preseason, we know, but just watching him play, what, what were your thoughts? Uh, I mean, not only is it preseason, it's his first game back in preseason. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to to draw too many definite judgments. But I mean, he looked very much like the player that I thought we were getting when I saw him play for Uruguay. Mm. He's, he's defensively switched on. He's tidy in possession. His ability to drop in and support the centre backs and the full backs is quite interesting. You know, he's happy where required to move into wide areas to intercept. Or Another thing that's, that you notice about him actually is that he is pretty handy in the air, a bit like Francis Cochran, who wasn't the tallest player but won a pretty good percentage of his headers, of his aerial duels. And Torreira does that too. He's very good at using his body. He's quite stocky despite not being that big. And even if he doesn't win the ball, he kind of is enough of a nuisance to prevent the opposition doing anything Mm. useful with it. Uh, So, yeah, I thought he had a a decent enough debut. It'll be interesting to see see how uh, comfortable Emery feels using some of these players who are back recently 
at the start of the season, you know, when he feels they're ready to come into the Premier League. He did speak about that, didn't he? He yeah. said that it, it might be short for the for the sure. first game, I think. Yeah, we had a, a few questions, just to go into the questions part uh before because this is relevant uh, Kin Fai on Twitter who's at Aeroberg says yesterday Stones, Walker, Fernandinho and Aguero all started for City um, we don't even have uh, we don't even have Danny Welbeck back in training mm. yet and John Stones and Kyle Walker who played throughout the World Cup are already back and in the, the Manchester City team now it's not to say that Danny Welbeck is a player of, of crucial importance to us but if we're going into this opening game of the season you know it feels to me like if if Man City are prepared to play guys who played in the World Cup then we also should be prepared to do that I think if if you're playing somebody like Bournemouth, with all due respect to Bournemouth, you might be able to take a more sensible approach and say, okay, it would be better for us to be able to give these guys a little bit more rest and a little bit more preseason training and preparation and everything else. That would be better. But the circumstances of our our season opening, playing Manchester City and then playing Chelsea, kind of dictate that we're going to have to say, okay, it's not ideal, but it's maybe not the end of the world to play these guys in these games. Well, you know, that's, to me, it's, um, it would be a risk rather not to play what is perceived or what he perceives to be our best 11 against uh, a team as good as Manchester City. Certainly it would be frustrating, wouldn't it, if we lost to Manchester City next weekend and they had Walker in their team, they had Stones in their team and we didn't have Shaka and Torreira in ours. That would be kind of a difficult thing to accept. So I, 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 I would like to see those players come in if they're ready. But then presumably this decision is not being made by Unai Emery. Presumably it's being made by somebody like Darren Burgess. Presumably that his role in player fitness and player performance is significant enough that he's strongly advising the manager on what to do. And, you know, I think we have to, if we brought in these people who are absolutely experts in their field with glowing reputations, to a certain extent, we have to trust that expertise. Yeah, maybe so. But I mean, I don't think somebody like Darren Burgess should be able to tell Unai Emery who he can and can't pick. I think what he can do is provide him with information mm-hmm. about the player's readiness, about their their fitness, about their whatever, their physical capability. Can he do a full 90? Can you maybe just do him for 60 minutes? Would it, would it be better to bring him on in the second half if you need to bring him on? But, you know, at the same time, if City are able to play um, these guys who are away at the World Cup, why can't we? What's different about our preparation? And, uh, you know, uh, I know there's a million people listening to this right now just uh, getting out the uh, the uh, syringe emoji, but <laughs> I don't think that's it. You know, these are professional guys. They're not gone on summer holidays where they're eating, you know, fish and chips all day and drinking pints and coming back to sweat off the extra pounds that they put on. No, and, and the guys who've been at the World Cup, I mean, they've barely had the time to do that. Mm. Uh, they've only been away for a couple of weeks just a matter of weeks ago, they were playing in the highest level of competition. So, I mean, central midfield is the one area as well, isn't it? You know, where we are light, you know, the centre-halves, well, apart from Koscielny, they're all there. Aubameyang and Lacazette at the other end of the pitch, they're available. Uh, it's it's in the middle of the park because Shaka and Torreira are potentially such important players for us this season where 
there is a selection issue there. Maybe, maybe Emery will. I nearly said Arsene Wenger. God, I'll probably do that. Not <laughs> uh, but I'm, maybe Emery will will decide he can risk one, but not both. Right. That feels plausible to me. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see which one he considers most ready or most important, and if he can. You know, if he feels like he's got enough depth in his midfield to cope without one of them, it depends perhaps on the fitness of Aaron Ramsey as to to what happens there in, in the opening game. But um, we might have a question about the, the opening game uh, a bit later on. But anything else stood out for you from the from the two nil win over Lazio? I did see some people suggest that defensively we weren't necessarily as convincing as you might like. No, and I have to say personally, there were a few moments where. I felt maybe this, some of the shortcomings of our new goalkeeper were evident. Uh, he, he had a good game in some respects. I think what we're seeing with him is he's much more comfortable in possession of the ball at his feet than Pesacek. Right. And I think actually our first goal came as a consequence of a move that he had been involved in, you know, mm. knocking the ball around with the defenders. Uh, but there were times where the ball came into the box and there was a palpable sense of panic between him and the centre-halves. And he wasn't quite as commanding and composed coming off his line as you would want. Uh, so that's a bit of a concern. I mean, look, that's another big decision, isn't it? Facing yeah. Emery, he's played his cards very, very close to his chest. And we've got something riding on it as well, haven't we? I can't remember what we what uh, the bet yeah, was. Yeah. I can't remember either. Um, no. Someone tell us on Twitter, please, because you remember these things better than we do. We have do. to punch ourselves in the face or something I like that. I think I get to punch you. <laughs> yeah. or this, I think there could have been ham on ruffles involved somewhere along the way. Ah, but, that's uh, true. And, uh, and I saw you had some ham on ruffles I on Instagram. I did have ham on ruffles this weekend. My daughter's home from Barcelona and she brought uh, a couple of bags of ham on ruffles. So uh, one has been mostly consumed. The other is sort of waiting there for that moment where you just can't wait any longer. You know, like sure. I, you know that you have them, but you don't want to eat them because then you won't have them anymore. But at some point, the desire for their deliciousness overcomes your desire to not not have ham on ruffles. If that makes I, sense, I completely understand. It's a matter of time really, yeah, until yeah, they yeah. disappear. Um, uh, yeah, it is going to be an interesting one. Czech versus Le- uh, Leno. I don't know quite what he's going to do. Um, my suspicion always was the new signing was going to play, but. Again, I wonder if the quality of the opposition, if the caliber of the opposition in our opening games might have an impact on that, particularly if he wants to provide some calm, some experience behind a new central defensive partnership, for example. That might be part of his thinking when it comes to to his goalkeeper. It's all kind of joined up, isn't it? If I do this, can I offset it with that? If I play this guy, you know, um, it is it is an interesting part of what's going to come this uh, this season. It's not a, it's not an easy introduction to English football, is it, for any new signing to face Man City and then Chelsea? And I wonder as well, will some of his decisions be informed by the fact that he almost certainly is going to have a, a very inexperienced, well, relatively inexperienced player at left back as well. Part yeah, of his defense. yeah. Of course, we have an injury to Said Kalasinac, who mm. will be out for about two months. Eight weeks to 10 days, they said, or 10 weeks, uh, rather, they said on arsenal.com. So, you know, we're talking about what, September, October, mid October, maybe before he gets back. So we're well into our well into our Europa League campaign at that stage as well. Nacho Monreal has returned from the World Cup with a bit of a knee problem. Nothing too serious, they say, but it might leave him short for 
for the game against Man City. And if we're talking about playing, maybe playing Xhaka, maybe playing Torreira, at least they got some minutes at the weekend. Monreal hasn't had any minutes uh, in preseason at all. So even without uh, an injury, you know, it, it would be difficult to, to throw him in first game. So it looks like we'll be facing Manchester City with Ainsley Maitland-Niles at left back. It does look that way, doesn't it? I mean, I have to say, I quite like Maitland-Niles at left back. I think that, I think that you know, it's not, it's not his natural position maybe or not his future position, but uh, I think he, he's got the attributes to be pretty handy there. And he, he had a good couple of games there last season where he was mm. keeping Kolasinac out of the side. So uh, it's it's bad news. There's no two ways about it. But I I think this could be a good opportunity for him. And I I have a lot of faith in him. Yeah. You reckon he'll be OK? I mean, I, I, I liked what he did there last season as well. But it, it was a guy being played out of position. And that's always a concern to me. So... Um, you know, I, I I don't doubt his commitment or his ability to do the job, really, but I just wonder if it's something we we really have to think about in the longer term is what we're going to do at left-back. I did see your tweet to say that uh, you, you felt a bit more comfortable with Maitland-Niles at left-back than Kolasinac. And, uh, you know, again, sort of delving into to the questions here, this one was from Gary Gallagher, who is at asking too few. And he says, could Kolasinac play as a left-sided attacker in a 4-2-3-1? I don't think he can, but it just illustrates to me that people aren't convinced by him as a left-back yet. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of question we occasionally used to get about Andre Santos. You know, let's <laughs> play him on the wing, not a fullback. So hide his deficiencies. Kolasinac is a player that I want to like and I see why he's a bit of a cult figure and, you know, he's got this huge frame and he can be so effective going forward. But I just feel like defensively, I just don't think he looks comfortable as a fullback, mm. particularly in a 4-4-2. I think it, in a wingback, he can kind of get away with it and he's got that left-sided centre-half, someone like Montreal who's able to sweep up in behind him and, and cover him. I think if you were a winger and you were up against Kolasinac, yes, he's big and that's kind of intimidating, but... I think you'd fancy your chances of, of getting round him, of knocking the ball past him. If, you, if you're agile and you're quick, mm. I think he can be vulnerable. And Maitland-Niles, yes, he's out of position, but athletically, I think he's sort of more suited in some ways to fullback than Kolasinac is. And uh, Kolasinac can look like a centre-half playing at left-back, I think physically in terms of his body type. Mm. Whereas Maitland-Niles, I remember he played against Salah last season and, you know, it was a difficult ask for him, but he had the speed to cope with him. And when he cut inside onto his left foot, that kind of suited Maitland-Niles, his right-sided. And yeah. he'll be up against Riyad Mahrez, maybe, from Man City from that side. So yeah. that might be a, a similar sort of duel. Like Kolasinac is one who's got a big, big season ahead because his first season started promisingly, really kind of faded and ultimately disappointed. He's now started this season, which he, he had an opportunity to start the season as first-choice left-back with Monreal coming back late. He's now missed that. Uh, yeah, you do wonder, you know, what what the future holds for him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a blow for him certainly. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, like you, I'm a, I'm a bit unconvinced. But who knows? Players' career trajectories are are not always, uh, you know, linear. They can go up and down. But I, I think you're right. He did have a real opportunity, and he was being played in preseason. And Emery was playing him for 90 minutes in most of the games. Um, whether that was just because he had no choice, no other option, or because he really wanted to give him minutes to get him match fit and get him physically ready for the Premier League, um, we'll we'll never know now, I guess. But just based on what you've seen. From 
from preseason. Uh, how is your What's your gut feeling about our readiness for the start of the season? Because I think on the one hand, it's a brand new season. That's always exciting. It's a new manager. It's new coaches. There are some new players. All those things are exciting and I'm enthused about all of them. But I'm just curious as to what your your gut feeling... I mean, do you have any greater insight into what Unai Emery is, is going to do? Or is it going to take three months, six months of watching him work before we can really assess how how he's trying to do what it is that he needs to do with Arsenal. I think I think the latter is true. I mean, mm. it's not like I'm watching these preseason games and seeing a completely transformed team from the one I saw last season. It's not unrecognisable. Yeah. And even the things that Emery has talked about wanting to implement, I mean, I'm thinking primarily of the, the pressing strategy. That is not at the level yet where you're like, oh, I, I can see how that's going to be implemented. And that's partly due to personnel not being there, uh, but also due to kind of tactical tactical tinkering between friendly matches, as we as we said earlier on. Yeah. So I think it is going to take more time. So in, in terms of are we ready? Uh, no, we're not ready because it's a summer of enormous change and we're not coming into it with a, a clear, coherent idea of how we're going to play and what that's going to look like. But, you know, it is becoming increasingly clear that there was a benefit to Arsenal doing the majority of their incoming transfer business so early. That is one thing that we have got going for us. This group of players does appear to be united and bonded and feeling positive. That That's a nice thing to observe. But I just think in terms of the minutiae, the tactical minutiae that Emery's so obsessive about, I don't think that's where he would ideally want it on the eve of a season. Yeah. What, what about you? Yeah, I mean... I'm a little bit worried, you know, because there has been so much change and players are back late and we have a very difficult start to the season. You know, I think we we really do need to give this guy some time and have some patience. You know, we all want the best and, you know... Um I guess still in the back of people's minds, perhaps there's this idea that just because Arsene Wenger is gone, all the problems that we had are going to be fixed or we're going to be immediately better because he's gone. I don't think that's the case. It is going to take Emery time. I don't really know quite what he is trying to do um, with the team, with some of the decision-making that's that's happening. Uh, we, we're going to talk a little bit about Callum Chambers now in a second because that's mm. a, a confusing one for me. You know, it's... it's um, I'm a little bit concerned. Just, you know, it is a tough start. Man City are a great team and I've, I haven't seen perhaps enough attention paid to some of the problems that we had last season, but they may well be um, solved with different personnel, you know, with Torreira coming in to do a, a, a different kind of a job in midfield from from other people. Um, and he still has decisions to make, of course, about who is going to make up his midfield, who's going to start up front, who's going to start on the left. If it's Aubameyang starting up front, who's going to start in goal? So, I think it will all play out over the um, over the course of uh, over the course of the next few weeks and months. But you talked about the benefit of doing transfer business early, and that's good. I, I don't think anybody uh, has any real complaints about the players that we brought in. Really, um, even if we are to be convinced by a couple of them, you know, the fact that we did the business early is a positive. There's no doubt about that. That that's a positive. 
Maybe we haven't done as much business as people might like. There's a gap perhaps in the squad for for a wide player. But we come to the business of getting rid of people, selling mm-hmm. people, moving players on who are surplus to requirements, who who bloat the squad, both in terms of you know, their wages, just their very presence. You know, we're talking Carl Jenkinson, Joel Campbell, Lucas Perez, it seems, is somebody who, who Unai Emery wants to move on. He doesn't particularly want to move on anywhere uh, where he's going to have to take a 50% pay cut, which is understandable. You can uh, understand that on any basic level. Why would anyone go and take a huge pay cut when they could just stay? Uh, and you can dress it up with the idea that you're going to stay and fight for your place. You know, there's the, the Ramsey situation. There's the Welbeck situation. You know, this other part of the transfer business doesn't seem to have been managed quite as well. No, and it's going to be a busy few days, isn't it, in that respect? Yeah. I mean, there are there are people we have to get out. Admittedly, they only have to leave before Thursday if they are moving to an English club. Um, we can still sell abroad yeah. after that point. But I feel like w- once we go past that point, it might be a little bit harder to extract money from people because they'll know our selling options are limited. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're a foreign club and you're waiting and you think, well, if it gets past the English deadline and, you know, Lucas Perez is still in London and they still want to get rid of him, they're not going to make, we're not going to have to pay more money after that point. We'll be able to probably get him for less. So that will be an interesting sort of breakmanship element to things, I suppose, in the next few days. Mm. So the Callum Chambers thing, oof. by the way. I, that I find that really quite odd. Yeah, the story is that he's about to join Fulham on a season-long loan, right? Yeah. So here's here's uh, Unai Emery talking on July the third, July the third, not just a random date either. This is when Callum Chambers signed a brand new contract with Arsenal, having previously just signed a new deal last October. So Unai Emery says. I'm delighted Callum has extended his stay with us. He played an important role last season and will be part of my plans this season. Uh, Callum Chambers at the time says, delighted to have signed a new deal at Arsenal. I want to give my very best to this great club. Thanks to the manager for showing faith in me and I'm looking forward to a big season ahead. So what the what what's happened between July the 3rd and August the 6th that has dis- uh, made Unai Emery decide to sanction, because we have to assume he 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 gives his okay for this. What's happened to make this kind of a, a turnaround, this kind of a change? One minute you give a guy a new deal and say he's part of my plans, and less than a month later, he's not, and he's going to Fulham on loan. What's going on? Do you think it could be to do with making space for a a replacement? I wonder... I do wonder about that. I mean, what's happened since is four friendly games. Now, Chambers hasn't played particularly poorly in those games, no. from what I've seen. Uh, in fact, plenty of people out there have been saying, you know, he's been our best defender in preseason. Mm. Um, maybe it's more the case that uh, the unconvincing performances of Socrates and Mustafi have led Arsenal to think maybe we haven't got the required personnel at centre-half and someone's got to come in. Even so, I am surprised that it would be Chambers who moves out. Yeah, You know, when you think of the fact that this would be a second loan spell, Rob Holding's never had a loan spell since joining Arsenal. When you think of the fact that Mavropanos hasn't even been 
hugely involved in preseason. I think of the five centre halves, he's played the least football. Yeah, it is curious, and maybe maybe part of it is the players' insistence that he wants to play first team football at this stage. Maybe he's realised, well, look, it looks like I'm not first choice here. I want to play, and that's a factor in it. Maybe I don't, I don't know if I buy that personally. I know. It feels like Chambers would want to stay at Arsenal because there's a real chance that he could earn a first team place this season. Yeah. Yeah, I find it I find it very strange. It does make me wonder if there is something else going on. You know, like a like a the potential to bring in a player who they rate more highly than Callum Chambers. In which case, you know, fine, but you know, if you rate him highly enough to give him a new deal in July, just months after giving him a new deal back in October, who's making these decisions? Is I mean, could it possibly have been Unai Emery's decision to give Callum Chambers a new contract? I would say I'd be surprised. Me too, because why, after just a couple of weeks at the club, would he insist on giving a, a new deal to a guy who only signed a new deal, you know, back in October? You know, My if a guy only has... As yeah, manager. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so somebody else is making that decision. Somebody else has made that decision. So has somebody else made the decision to, to loan him? Who is who is it? Who's got their fingers in the in the head coach's pie, if you like? Because you know, as much as we as much as we um, look at this structure and go, okay, is a head coach, and then there's an executive committee who make you know who do the the football business deals with transfers and with contracts and and whatever. But if somebody is overruling the manager or the head coach in terms of the the players that he has available to him, then I'm not sure that's a, that's a healthy thing. Well, maybe, I mean, maybe there is a financial element. I mean, Fulham have got a lot of money. Maybe they've said, well, but it's, it's a loan. cover his wages and give you two million quid for the loan. Yeah, and they were like, well, well... But do we really need money that much? Surely we I need centre-halves more than we need money. Yeah, I mean, I, it, I really am finding it hard to make sense of. I mean, the only thing I can think is is the balance of the centre-half wrong. We spoke briefly last week about holding an, uh, sorry uh, Mustafi and Socrates both being right-sided centre-halves and yeah. uh, Chambers is another one of those you know holding a Mavropanos can sort of play on the left-hand side yeah, maybe they yeah. think we're a bit heavy on one side I, I, it is really difficult to discern the thinking here and a lot of it depends on if someone comes in between now and Thursday if it's one in one out or because there's, there's rumours about Vida aren't there have you seen those yeah the Croatian, the Croatian guy yeah um, from who's playing in Turkey, I think, at the moment. Mm. But I, yeah, I I can only assume that. It, I was absolutely convinced that we were going to see kind of Staffy and Socrates' first choice, Holding and Chambers back up. And I, it was Mavropanos, if anything, who I thought might might go out on loan. Mm. Yeah, I thought that too. But uh, yeah, it is it is a bit of a weird one. We'll have to wait and see what happens between now and uh, Thursday evening when the when the window closes, and if we get some uh, some what's the word I'm looking for? Some information from Unai Emery as to why this deal happened. There is going to be a, a press conference, a pre-game press conference, of course, ahead of the Manchester City game. So if that happens, you would like to think someone will ask him what the thinking is behind this. He seems willing enough to to uh, to expand on the decisions that he makes on the pitch. So maybe he'll be just as open um, when it comes to the ones off the pitch, assuming, of course, that he is the guy who made that decision. Uh, just a couple of other quick things. Uh, Alex Iwobi signed a new long 
long-term contract. Yeah. Um, I would have said, I, you know, that would be an assurance that he's going to be in the team, but by Thursday he could be on loan somewhere else for all we know. But um, just generally, what, what did you make of that? Good decision or not? I think it is a good decision. And I guess, you know, whatever you think of sending Callum Chambers on loan, I think giving him a new contract is also a good decision. You know, it protects his value. It means that, he, you know, we're not going to risk losing him for less than he's worth, which is the case with a couple of other players. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it makes sense. I actually think Iwobi has looked pretty decent in pre-season two. He looks absolutely massive. I don't oh, know if he's just yeah, maturing. No, it's, it's not just you, because when he came on in Dublin the other night, I was uh, kept a close eye on him, and physically, he looked different than he has done in the past. He really yeah. did. He looked, I don't know, he just looked a bit taller and a bit wider, and I don't know what it was, but you could see it. It was obvious uh, from the stands in Dublin that that physically he has he has changed somewhat, or maybe it's just a uh, him versus some of the other players we had on the pitch that made him look that much bigger. But um, it, it, it caught my eye. That's for sure. Yeah, it does catch the eye, and I suppose with close control, you know, allied to that physical mm. power, that's going to help him. I do think there is a really, really good player in there, and I'll accept that he hasn't been consistent enough, you know, but that is that is young players for you. And I think like a lot of people at Arsenal, he kind of hit a bit of a ceiling, but I am optimistic that he can push past that. And in a squad that's not blessed with many wide players, mm. it's, he's closest. He's the closest thing we have in some ways. Do you feel like there's an opportunity perhaps for him to establish himself on the left-hand side mm. where we do seem to have room for, for somebody, depending, of course, on the, on the formation that we pick, but... Um, you know, I worry a little bit about the wide areas because I was watching in in, uh, in Dublin the other night, the Chelsea game, and ostensibly it was Ozil and Mkhitaryan who I think are both granted a certain amount of freedom and Ozil in particular is given as much freedom as he likes. They don't really maintain their positions. They both like to come inside and affect the play, which leaves us with gaps. Um, yeah. Certainly it was something that Hector Bellerin had to cope with. Uh, he didn't play very well against Chelsea, but he was left exposed c- completely time and time again. Um, whereas it feels like if we had somebody like Iwobi, at least he would provide that kind of um, structure that he wouldn't necessarily drift as central as the other two. That's true. And actually one of the most promising aspects of the, the friendly game against Lazio was the partnership between Iwobi and uh, Maitland-Niles. That was actually our, our, our best attacking outlet. Maitland-Niles made a lot of runs on the overlap and Iwobi sort of tucking inside and mm. playing him through was quite effective. So, I, you know, look, there's a big decision to be made, isn't there, about Aubameyang and Lacazette if both start and if Manchester City is the right opponent for them to both start against. Uh, if they don't, I think Iwobi's got a really good chance to, as you say, play in, from that left-hand side. Mm. One young player who scored actually the other night and has been involved throughout preseason is Reese Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, are you worried that he has yet to sign a new contract? Yeah, I am. I mean, is it this his last season yeah. of his existing deal? Yeah. It feels kind of crazy, doesn't it, to have such a promising young player in such a vulnerable position. Um, and you almost feel like at that point, his development kind of becomes counterintuitive. You know, the, the more that you play him, the more you raise his profile, the harder it is to keep him, the more likely it is you lose him. It's a curious thing. Like why invest playing time in someone who you're not necessarily sure you're mm. going to reap the benefit of that? Uh, it, it, it's a big issue and one that 
needs to be answered, doesn't it? Because it's exactly that. You know, why should Arsenal give game time to a player who has no long-term interest in remaining at the club? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's perhaps a way of convincing him. Of course, that's you know? the... That's the difficulty. That's the yeah. difficulty, yeah. But I think, uh, you know, with the Ramsey situation, with the Welbeck situation, with the Reese Nelson situation, there is room for improvement as to how we manage contracts and how we allow players to reach this point where the club's bargaining position is just completely weak because they, don't, mm. they just don't have one. You know, it doesn't make any difference, perhaps, with, with someone like Danny Welbeck if you're not convinced that Danny Welbeck is the guy for the future, but maybe Danny Welbeck should have been sold before now. If we're not giving Danny Welbeck a new deal, then he should have been sold before the end of um, before the end of this transfer window, which we can still do, of course, before the end of April, but do we leave ourselves short, etc., etc.? You know, this is why I'm coming back to the incoming part of our transfer dealing was well-managed this summer, and the people involved deserve credit for it. The other side of it, I think, has been if not mismanaged, um, it's been left too late or maybe we're just not very good at that side of it. People have pointed to other clubs and the amount of money that they get for players that are deemed surplus to requirements at their club. You know, not just small clubs, you know, at Tottenham, uh, you know, at Chelsea, at Liverpool, you know, they can move players on who they don't want anymore and they seem to get pretty good money for it. Whereas we are accepting 5 million for Lucas Perez, 5 million euros, a player we spent 17 and a half million pounds on two summers ago. We're desperately accepting 5 million pounds or 5 million euros for him, but we still can't sell him because because of the wages issue. So why why is it other clubs can deal with those things and we can't? I don't know because we've brought in people specifically to deal with those matters. Um, you know, that's why you have somebody like a head of football relations to, I mean, you, you hope, don't you, that what's going on in the boardroom in terms of a, a big potential departure mm. there, you hope certainly that that's not having any kind of impeding effect on our transfer business. Mm. Uh, it's difficult to speak with any certainty one way or the other, because it's difficult to know how much authority people act with. Yeah. But one of the consequences of the advanced transfer deadline is that Arsenal will name their 25 man squad for the Premier League season presumably before the season kicks off, you know, once that deadline closes. So there will, barring a fire sale between now and Thursday, potentially be a number of senior players who aren't on that list. And at that stage, they become effectively worthless. You know, no one's going to pay any big money for those guys when it's clear that we can't even select them. Can we do, is it just a Premier League transfer window or is it uh, across all English clubs? Oh, that's a good question. I think they can loan. Uh, I think they can loan players from the Premier League in the lower leagues, but I'm not sure they can buy permanently. Right. Um, I, think I think that's should... right. I think that's right. Let's see. I think we should look this up actually because that's that's important because there are cer- certain players, for example, who who may go on loan. yeah, well, not may go on loan, but won't have a Premier League suitor. You know, I'm thinking of yeah. someone like Carl Jenkinson for it, you know, who, right, who yeah, yeah. he could go to a championship club pretty easily, but I'm not sure there are too many Premier League clubs that are going to buy Carl Jenkinson. So if it's a case that the transfer window closes on Thursday at five o'clock, can we sell him to the championship? Can we sell him to League One if that's what it is, you know? Yes. So I think the Premier League clubs voted to end disruption on the Thursday. 
I think that's the case. Right. We're looking and looking here. We don't know. I'm looking for championship transfer deadline, but everyone's so interested in the Premier League that there's nothing really... Oh, here you go. EFL clubs. Transfer window to close on Thursday, 9th of August. EFL clubs have voted through proposals to shut the summer transfer window for permanent transfers on Thursday, the 9th of August, which brings the 72 EFL clubs in line with the Premier League. Right. So there's going clubs to be... outside the top flight will still be able to sign players on loan until 31st of August. Right. So we could see a lot of loan deals before the end of August. We could see yeah. a lot of stuff going on between now and and uh, Thursday at 5 p.m. It is a weird one, isn't it? It's 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 totally I don't think it's any kind of advantage for for English clubs. Like the idea of the transfer window closing before the start of the season, I think is in theory a good one. It's something that I would support because I think it's good to have clarity before before a season begins. But if there's no harmonisation of that across Europe, then all it does is it puts English clubs in a weird position. And I wonder, has it affected the amount of transfer business that's gone on this summer? It does put you in a strange position. I mean, you know, does it put you in a a difficult, Mm. vulnerable position, say with Aaron Ramsey or somebody like that? You know, once... uh, once the deadline theoretically goes, you can't replace him, but you're still vulnerable to the advances of a buying club. Like, I wonder if English clubs will be subject to very tempting bids for players they can't necessarily replace. Um, but I, I think it is primarily a good thing. Look, I, I wanted it in the Premier League before, so I, I can't be too churlish about it now. It is just a shame that they haven't been able to bring Europe in line. Yeah. Uh, be, I think, the, the best solution. All right. Well, look, it is going to be a busy a busy few days. You would hope it's going to be a busy few days because there are many candidates to, to, to leave uh, before, the, before the deadline closes. And if we don't, uh, if we don't, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, in particular with Aaron Ramsey and Danny Welbeck, if nothing happens with them before the 9th of August, then they're going to be staying. And yeah their bargaining position, if it is indeed a bargaining position and not simply, you know, the, the running down of a contract, it, if that's what it is, then it becomes much, much stronger. We can't let them go. If we don't do anything ourselves before August the 9th, we can't let them go because there are players we're going to need. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think, you know, we've talked all summer about Aaron Ramsey and that situation's got to come to a head and how Arsenal manage that, those contracts. I do feel like I am surprised by the way that it has played out and surprised by the lack of decisiveness, maybe, mm. on Arsenal's part. I felt like maybe there had to be a bit of a line in the sand that they couldn't let the club get into the same position they did with Meza Erzno and Alexis Sanchez. And yet here we are. I anticipated the people making those decisions at the club to be more bold maybe mm. even if it meant potentially losing the player just to show that the club won't be bullied in these contract negotiations um so and yet that doesn't really have seemed to to come to pass so mm. that's been a bit of a surprise all righty well look we'll see what happens between now and thursday and then of course between uh, now and the end of august for for clubs across europe because players like lucas perez and joel campbell seem to me reasonable candidates to go on loan to to or go or be sold rather to to clubs in Europe, whether it's in Italy or Turkey or Spain or Portugal, wherever it might be, I think they might find a home. Whereas English players, 
Uh, and I'm thinking of, uh, well, David Ospina as well is one of those who could go. But Carl Jenkinson, I can't imagine Carl Jenkinson going to, you know, um, some club in Portugal. You know, no, I think, he, I think no. he's... But then, you know, Chubarakpan went to Greece, so yeah. don't rule anything out. But yeah, I think uh, the ones that we're looking at by Thursday are people like Jenkinson and apparently Callum Chambers. Weird, weird, weird. Okay, we'll... Uh... We'll see what happens. For now, though, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with more your questions and uh, all that stuff in part two right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Would you like to go first or will I go first this week? What, what would you prefer? Uh, you can I'll have go the first, choice. if you yeah? don't mind. Okay. Uh, let's start with this. This is from Scott, who's at S. Valerine. And Scott asks, would you let Perez join West Ham as Sky reporting? He says, personally, I'd keep him and play him in the Europa League. Yes, I think I would. I would let him go because I, I quite like him. I think he's an okay player. He he looked quite good for us at times. He's experienced, but I think we've got too big of a squad. And in the absence of moving on Danny Welbeck, uh, then I, I, I don't know how much he's going to play anyway, you know? And maybe... Maybe moving Lucas Perez on gives us a chance to play Eddie and Kedia in the Europa League and perhaps a greater benefit to us as a football club in the long run to to playing somebody like Eddie and Kedia, who might develop uh, into a player that we can use on a more regular basis. Or we find out that perhaps Eddie and Kedia isn't quite as good as, as everybody said, but we give him that chance for, for playing time. I mean, I think it gets... You know, some money in if we get a transfer fee from West Ham. It takes his wages off the books as well. Um, I don't know that Lucas Perez will or could be the missing link between what we want to do this season and not, you know? it does, He doesn't feel like an important player to me. He doesn't feel like an important part of the, the, the puzzle, if you like. Yeah. Um, so I, I would be quite happy to let him go. Do you think it's, I mean, you mentioned Eddie Nketiah as a potential beneficiary. Do you think this deal would be good news for Danny Welbeck? Maybe, 
Maybe. Do you think Arsenal can sell both, I suppose, is what I'm asking? No. Right. I think we've got to keep one of those yeah. two. Yeah. You know, oh, to I'd give be us, inclined to agree with that. To, to, give us to be depth. honest, my hunch was maybe that they might keep Perez of the two. I just felt that, you know, maybe he's a player that Emery knew from his time in Spain and would would rate consequently and Welbeck's contractual situation might make him the more sensible sale. But it seems, look, if they're willing to sanction this deal, they will have consulted the manager on it and mm. it feels like the decision has been made. I mean, Perez was involved right at the start of pre-season and his involvement has dipped dramatically since. Yeah, he wasn't in the squad for Dublin at all. No. I don't think he was in the squad for the for the Lazio game. So uh, Unai Emery's had a look and decided, okay, I, I've, got, I've got stuff elsewhere. I mean... Welbeck, it doesn't feel to me like he can go anywhere at this point because he's maybe he's only coming back today from his holidays yeah. and that gives us three days to sort out uh, a sale. Um, so I don't, I don't really see him go anywhere. And there hasn't been any talk, really, has there? I think a few weeks ago there was a story about Welbeck and Newcastle, but Newcastle don't appear to be making any transfers at all. So... Sure. Um, that that one's out of the window, but it doesn't feel like Welbeck can go somewhere at this point without it being a last minute thing. And again, go going back into that that sort of way we've planned or not planned our outgoing business. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there has been a bit of talk, I think, about Everton as well. You know, I think that's where sort of um, players from big clubs can kind of go. It's like the, it's the new West Ham, if anything, the sort of retirement home. Mm. But uh, I. Uh, there was an interesting point in pre-season where Emery was asked about strikers and he said, oh, we have, you know, we have enough strikers. We have Lacazette, we have Aubameyang, we have Nketiah. And the absence of both Perez and Welbeck from that list was kind of interesting. But yeah. I agree with you that we, we probably need to keep one. And I've got no issue with keeping Danny Welbeck. I'm just quite surprised given that it might mean losing him for nothing in a year's time. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, that, again, that's part of how maybe we can improve our, our transfer business because whatever you might get for Danny Welbeck, like you just said, spoke to me or said to me in the in the uh, in the break there between these two parts, Liverpool reportedly about to sell Danny Ings for twenty four million pounds. I mean, I yeah. don't know how the fuck they they managed to do that to do that. Um, if they do manage to do that, fair fucking play. That's amazing business, but it just shows perhaps the way that we're doing things can really be improved because if you can get 24 million for Danny Ings, you can get a, a decent chunk of money for Danny Welbeck, um, you know, who uh, has got a bit of a track record of scoring goals uh, and is a player who would suit quite a number of clubs in the Premier League. So, yeah, we're leaving that money on the table. You know, I think Welbeck could be useful throughout the season, don't, don't get me wrong, but is it the right way of doing things when perhaps you could sell and spend and improve um, yeah, it's it's a, it's another strange one. The other thing about Lucas Perez is just that while he is, you know, in theory, a centre forward, he, he does offer you a bit of width if you play him on the left-hand side. I remember him having some good games out there, you know, where he was kind of whipping crosses in from that flank. And just as we said in part one, it's not an area where we're blessed with, mm. with much. But look, Emery's looked at him and as I said, he must know the player. 
if he doesn't want him, he doesn't want him. There's no point keeping a player he's not going to use. Mm. Okay, here's a question from Anish Chandoke, who's at Anish Chandoke. He says, how much is Gazidis involved in player contracts? Is it possible that the Ramsey saga has dragged on because Gazidis himself is trying to sneak out? How can he convince him to stay? Or rather, why would the club want a non-committed employee to discuss the future of a key player? I mean, is it possible that, that all this stuff at board level, the Gazidis to Milan stuff, is having an impact on the work we're trying to do or should be doing? I hope not. I mean, I th- you have to think that people like Raul, Sven, uh, Hus Fami, who is actually, you know, the, the chief contract negotiator with the club, their their future is not hopefully contingent on Gazidis's and they would have an interest in tying Ramsey down to a new deal. So I would like to think that's not the reason. I think there are enough other people employed, enough diffusion of responsibility for us to be able to agree that contract if the player wanted to sign it. I think the key issue is the player doesn't seem to want to sign it. Yeah, I think that is the key issue with the Ramsey thing. But just on that, the you know, the the people like Husfami and Raul and, and Sven, etc., do they not have to be given specific boundaries within which they can work. There needs to be a voice of authority to tell them what their roles are and what their responsibilities are, right? Of course. Yeah, I just guess that, I mean, not not that I took everything from uh, Chips Keswick's statement at absolute face value, but you have to hope, don't you? Whatever you may think of him, you have to hope that Gazidis is responsible enough to at least do his job until such time as he leaves. Um if he's leaving, I mean, I was told last week that it was uh, that he was going to leave. But even the fact that we're uh, we're still in the dark over the the future of the chief executive, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we've all we've all embraced change this summer, and we've all welcomed it in many ways. You know, across coaching levels and uh, uh, youth level under 23s, Per Mertesacker, Freddie Jumberg all coming back in, Unai Emery, you know, the way we've done business, all those changes have been welcomed by everybody. But it does feel still a little like this is a club which overall could do with some clarity is not the word, but it doesn't feel necessarily necessarily like everybody is singing from the same hymn sheet in a way. I don't know whether that's just me being slightly pessimistic about things, whether it's a gut feeling, but it doesn't feel like the the well-oiled oiled machine that we wanted this executive committee to be is is quite that. I mean, is that because whoever you appoint in the executive committee, there are still kind of fundamental issues underpinning that to do with the ownership of the club? Yeah, well, I mean, that's another thing because... Um, the story the other week about Usmanov being willing to sell to to Kroenke, um, that's that's another sort of Damocles hovering over us in a way, isn't it? That if Usmanov decides to sell to to Kroenke, well, that takes the club in an entirely different direction. So, yeah, I mean. We had a question actually, which is about kind of the mm. the interrelationship between the board and the ownership, and it was from Robbo, who's at Clarkie Robbo, who said, uh, "Re Ivan Gazidis, could it be that promises made to him haven't been fulfilled, such as money, both for buying players and contracts like Ramsey, and authority to run the club as he sees fit? Do you think there could be a breakdown, maybe, in the communication between the the ownership of the club and the people effectively running it? Maybe." 
Maybe. I mean, you look at the board and you look at the the people on it and the people who ultimately have the responsibility or the authority to make decisions. And it's hard not to be a little bit worried. Um, maybe there is a breakdown with, with Gazidis. I'm not sure Gazidis is that much of a man of principle that he would walk away simply because promises sure. that were made to him, yeah. uh, you know, w- weren't fulfilled. This was a guy who's quite happy to sit there and pick up his money season after season and his bonuses, you know, as he presided as chief executive over a period of decline for the club. So, you know, we, we heard that he was opposed to giving Arsene Wenger a new deal. If he was that principled, you know, maybe he would have walked away this time last year and said, okay, well, look, you can do what you want. I can't stand behind this anymore. But, you know, the other side of that, he was prepared to wait it out and make the changes, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think really Gazidis is driven by 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 that kind of principle. I think if he's going, it's probably a financial incentive. And again, you know, I've got no issue with that. Anybody in any line of work, if if you get an opportunity that can uh, substantially increase your wages or could give you the opportunity to to make the kind of money that you could retire on, you know, who among us wouldn't go for that? You know, but yeah. I, I don't think it's a, a question of principle. No, I don't either. I don't either. I mean, the problem is that we we'll, we don't know the full picture. It could all be part of if if there is a breakdown in communication, it could be all part of a negotiating tactic. It could be that because mm-hmm. he's already made up his mind to go. I just have to hope that you know, given that he might be handing in his notice at the end of this week, you have to hope that they they do what the necessary between now and then, uh, and maintain the level of professionalism to get what needs to be done done. Okay, is it uh, your question or my question? I think it's your question now. Okay, one second here. I did have one. Uh, boom, boom, boom. I definitely had one here. Um, one second. I've got one if you if you if you want. No, I've got it here. This comes from uh, uh, Queen Gunner, who's at so far. And she says, uh, I'm really worried about our defense and the fact that our opening game is against Manchester City. Um on a scale of normal poo to erupting diarrhea, how worried are you? And what would be your defence? My defence? Uh, I, I would be very worried. And my defence is to sit near a toilet at all times. <laughs> no, I uh, I am worried. I mean, I'd kind of allowed this idea to creep into my mind that City were going to be positively feeble, what with all their players being at the World Cup, and that I was going to you know, see a lineup of kids, you know, and mm. unknowns. And having watched them dispatch Chelsea pretty comfortably in the Community Shield, it doesn't really feel like that's going to be the case. Um, so I, I am, look, I'm more excited than worried. And that's a nice change. You know, I'm more intrigued than anything else. I can't wait to see how Arsenal acquit themselves. But I wouldn't say I was confident. You can't be confident against a team of that quality. Uh, so... Uh, the fear is less because it's tempered by excitement about the novelty. You know what I mean? Right, right. But you're still quite concerned defensively. Oh, I mean, they'll tear us apart, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who, um, assuming we are going to play a 4-4-2... Okay, here it is. This, this is the question. I have uh, I have one here as well from somebody else. Uh, God damn it. Why can't I find what I'm looking for today? I'm, I'm really bad at this. Okay, Commander of the Gunners 
who's at Nisius004. It ties into this question. He says, I'm asking this for the fourth week in a row. Nothing, nothing passive-aggressive there. Um, so please answer. Starting 11, what do you guys think it will be? So given that okay. we're going to have to choose our defense um, in this previous question, let's bang it out to the full 11. Who do you think is well, going to be? We're on record, aren't we, for the goalkeepers. I think Jack and you think it'll be Leno. So that's that's the keepers. Yeah, okay. Back, back four, I think, is fairly straightforward. I think it will be Bellerin, uh, Socrates, Mustafi, and Malin Niles. I mean, that's that's a, you know, doesn't sound great, does it? <laughs> it's the opening game of the season against Manchester City, who won the league with a hundred points and lost. I don't know, scored a bazillion goals. And your back four is Bellerin, Socrates, Mustafi, and Ainsley, Maitland, Niles. That's that's unconvincing to me. Yeah, that's fair. It's fair for that to be unconvincing, particularly in that left-hand channel. You know, I mean, I mean, actually, both channels. It's it's all a worry, and the fact that we could, can't tell you who the goalkeeper is behind it doesn't make it much more convincing. Mm. But do, are we agreed that it will be that back four? I think that will be the back four that he picks, bar any midweek injuries or 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 issues. I think it will be Socrates and Mustafi, which. I can't lie to you, James. Doesn't make my stomach feel very good. No. It it worries me. It worries no. me a great deal. It worries me too. But, um, yeah. I mean, look, it's not going to be Callum Chambers, is it? So we shall see. Uh, what about midfield? What's the situation with Aaron Ramsey? It seems very vague, this injury. Worryingly vague. <laughs> Uh, calf strain. Calf strain is what they said. Uh, they did. They did do uh, an update on the official website, didn't they? Yeah. Which was uh, which was quite amusing. But is there a prognosis of like no prognosis? Sustain, uh, developed tightness or tightness in his right calf continues to be assessed, aiming to train next week. So it doesn't sound like it's necessarily long term, but Ramsey and calf strains and and hamstring strains particularly at the beginning of a season are are a worry so i'm i'm going to sort of go into this on the perhaps optimistic assumption that aaron ramsey is fit okay and i think the midfield that we will pick for city is torreira Xhaka, and ramsey you think he'll pick them both yeah the, the guys who are back late mm what are his options? He's got Genduzi. He's had a very good preseason. Well, we had a question on that. This uh, here it is. Me and my terrible questions. Uh, ah, God damn it! I, I should open these up in a much more uh, easy way to find. Do you Somebody... get your questions? Print them out. No, I just open them a in hole a... yeah. in your floor. <laughs> Bury them all in separate places. It's not that. Um, it's I open them up in in Firefox in a whole load of tabs. Um, too many tabs. Too guys. many tabs. Anyway, I had a question. I apologize. Um, maybe I can just find it in my mentions here very quickly because I don't want to uh, not give somebody a mention. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Anyway, the point is the question: Who it was? It was like. Could you could given how well he's played in preseason, could you start Gwendozi against Manchester City? Okay. 
Thank you very much. Whoever, whoever it was. was, I apologize. I can't find it. I'm sorry. Uh, you could, and I know some people have been very impressed by it, but it would be a... Uh, look, if would you should be Jacques fit to start, I would rather see them play. Would you start him? Would you? Uh, probably not. No. I think it's huge risk. And, yeah. and actually, when I look at where he's vulnerable... It seems to me that when it's, he's receiving the ball on the edge of his own box, he can dally on it. He can try and turn on the ball when it's not necessarily the most sensible move. And I feel like City really have the players to hurt you and capitalise on that. So yeah. I would be cautious. So definitely. who do you think his midfield is going to be? Let's say Ramsey's fit. Um, I'm actually going to agree with you. I'm going to I'm going to say that he's he's going to go for it and play Ramsey, Shaka, and Torreira. I think. That is the best three that we have. That is my idea of what the first choice three will be going forward. Mm. And City are the best team we'll play all season. So why not? They've got to get fit by playing eventually. Yeah. So when are they going to do it? Let's do it now. Right. So who's your front three? Now that is a bit trickier. I know two components of it. I know one is Meza Ozil and I know the other is Aubameyang. Yeah. And then it's kind of toss up really because you've got Lacazette you've got Mkhitaryan and I guess you've got Alex Awobi as well yeah um, just judging on the fact that he came on and had a decent sort of cameo against Lazio with a really good little run through the centre I wonder if it might just be Mkhitaryan yeah that's what I'm thinking I'm thinking it'll be Mkhitaryan with Lacazette on the bench yeah Aubameyang up up front at the same time I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if he played Lacazette up front and played Aubameyang on the left I think that's a really close call but I just wonder against Manchester City if he might feel it's a bit gung-ho to play with two strikers Um, I wonder if he might go for Mkhitaryan just for a bit more balance so yeah, that that's my eleven. So we are actually agreed on it, with the exception of the goalkeeper. But it's not. Uh, it is that back four, isn't it? That you look at and think, well, that midfield three with Chakra and Torreira in it, it better be pretty bloody effective. Yeah, yeah, they've got um, work to do to protect a back four which feels not necessarily makeshift, but. Well, it sounds makeshift, but then three parts of that back four are, are in the right position. <laughs> yeah, but three parts, you know, they're in the right positions. You've got two central defenders. You know, uh, Hector Bellerin's a, a right back. Maitland-Niles has done a, an okay job, but it just doesn't sound like, you know, if you're going to play a, a, a big team and all of a sudden you're, you've got Dixon, um, Bold, Adams, Winterburn. That sounds like a good defence. I'm not saying that that's, you know, what, what we should be... Um, looking for at this moment in time. You know, that's clearly a unique set of defenders, but you could have some faith in them. Uh, and maybe it's just a question of giving them time together. But I think we've seen enough of Mustafi um, to have concerns about the way that he plays. Um, yeah. it, it feels... This Chambers thing is just playing on my mind as well. Because if we're... If we're accepting that we need another player at the center of our defense, which is the only reason I can think of for this move to go through, 
is that yeah. we have decided that we need a different player and Chambers is the one being asked to make way so we can bring in another player. But to bring that guy in two days or three days before the start of the season, that's a bit worrying. It is worrying. It is worrying. And also, let's say that we go into the season with these, with the four that we've got, so Mustafi, Socrates, holding Mavropanos. Mm. If one of those senior guys goes down, you are putting in a player who is relatively inexperienced, whichever one it is. Yeah. Uh, Chambers, at least, has got a full season at Middlesbrough under his belt. He's played plenty of football now, Callum Chambers. Yeah. Um, I just think we're making ourselves vulnerable. I can only think somebody's coming in. I, I can only think that. Yeah. It's the only way I can make sense of it. <sighs> Weird one. Weird one. So, yeah, well, there's our starting 11. Um are you excited? You don't sound excited. <laughs> I'm excited for the start. I'm just worried. That's all. Um, I, you know, you you can't read too much into preseason either way, good and bad. You know, I think you have to take it on its own merits. But yeah. I think we all accept that when Unai Emery or whoever was going to come in had a big job of work to do to get the team to function better as a team. And I don't think he's had a huge amount of time in order to to do that work. You know, I think this is the beginning of the work that he has to do. So I'm a bit worried given the opposition. If we were playing a, a lesser light of the Premier League, you know, where you could get off to a relatively, I won't say easy, but a less difficult start, then... I'd probably be more excited about the first game of the season rather than feeling as trepidatious as I am to face Manchester City. You know, I think everybody's going to be up for it and I think there'll be a great atmosphere and hopefully it's a lovely day and hopefully we play well. And and just the fact that it's competitive football again will raise the level a bit, but... Um, I'm just a, I'm just a little bit worried, but you know, maybe all these parts that he's, he hasn't had in preseason, some of the players he hasn't had in preseason, you know, will, will come in and make a difference. And maybe what he's learned in preseason, you know, will inform his, his team selection for this weekend. And yeah. he might find the balance in this first premier league team that he hasn't necessarily found in the preseason games. Yeah. I mean, is it a worry? Someone asked a question about this and you'll have to forgive me. It's now my turn to not have that question in front of me. Is it a worry that we feel a bit like we haven't seen the team play a game in pre-season? Maybe, but then I think he had to look at all his players, didn't he? He had to give them game time. He had to get them match fit and he had to make assessments on them, not just from training, but by what they do on the pitch because you assume every player that's sent out on that pitch is, is sent out there with some instruction from Unai Emery in terms of how he wants them to play in that position, whether we're in a back three or a back four or it's 4-3-3 or 4-4-2, whatever it is. You know, this is a coach who is um, renowned for his attention to detail. So he's looking at these players. He's telling them what he wants from them in that position and in various uh, scenarios and circumstances. And he's able to make a judgment on whether or not they can carry out those instructions. But of course, it's only, it's very difficult when you're giving a guy half an hour here, 45 minutes there. And, you know, we only had four preseason games. No, we had these behind uh, closed doors games as well, which might have been useful to him. But I don't think it's a real worry that we haven't seen the team yet because I don't know necessarily that the team 
exists yet or should exist. We shouldn't we shouldn't just have a first 11, you know? Mm. But it, as we keep saying, it's going to take time to, to wait and see, so. We are waiting and seeing, but not much longer. Mm. Not much longer. Uh, here's a question for you. I mean, we've given our answer here, but uh, Basliel Tuerdos, who's at the Basliel, I think uh, Tuodros, sorry about that. He says, Licksteiner or Bellerin against Sané? Licksteiner's game is well suited for players like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I, I, maybe is he? I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't want to be thirty-four and up against Leroy Sane. No, me neither. Um, so I'm going to say no, Bellerin, please. I know, I know, he gave Bellerin trouble last season, but I still think he's the best man for that job. Mm. Uh, we agree on that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. By the way, just as a little update as we go along, James Olley of the Evening Standard is reporting that Arsenal have sanctioned a £1 million loan deal for Chambers at Fulham and that they are in for a new centre-back and are looking at Vida but must raise funds first. I can't imagine that £1 million is going to be the difference. No. So if we've got to raise funds, who do we sell? Who's getting sold? Because you've got to, if you're going to bring in somebody like Vida, who does he play for? Well, the talk in Turkey. He is, plays is, for. He used Bishiktar. to be at Shakhtar, and then I think he went to. Uh, let me have a Besiktas. He plays yeah, for. Yeah, Besiktas. And there is some talk in Turkey, as I understand it, that Danny Welbeck might be used as a make weight in a deal. Right. right. Um, but this is another guy, 29. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I thought he was good in the World Cup. I'll be honest. So I did I. Remember, uh, some good games. It does feel a bit desperate, though, doesn't it? Or a bit like last-ditch scrambling, well, which is what we weren't supposed to do it, this summer. Yeah. I mean, you've got if you're going to, uh, what are you going to spend on this guy? Twenty million, another twenty million on a on a twenty-nine-year-old centre half who will have no resale value. Is that good business? Is that the right way to do your business? Is it simply a case that we have to? This is what we have to do uh, in order to to sort that sort out the the defence. But if we're going to raise funds. We're going to have to sell someone who who costs what somewhere in the region 15, 20 million, 25 million. Who do you sell? Who's yeah. who's who's sellable or movable that will raise you any real significant money at this point? And the only two players I can think of right now are Danny Welbeck. Yeah, I mean Lucas Perez. We talked about earlier. Get five million maybe for him. Joel Campbell. What are you going to get for you know? I give Joel Campbell away. Yeah. I don't think you're going to get a transfer fee for him. You're not going to get much for Carl Jenkinson. You're not going to get much for uh, Cohen Bramall. You're not going to get a great deal for David Ospina. You know, we've been unable to move Ospina season after season. So what are you going to get for him, even though he's got two years left on his deal? You know, four or five million, maybe, if you move all those players on. The other one, of course, is Aaron Ramsey. Yeah, that is the other one. Um, I've got a question about that coming up, actually. But, right. Uh, the Vida thing or the centre-half thing, it does really feel... I mean, I said in the first half, it feels like Emery's been given a collection of centre-halves and isn't convinced by them, mm. isn't it? And uh, the other thing about Vida, I don't know if, how real that link is, but he is someone who has, uh, I remember reading, covered as uh, fullback in both areas. So maybe... I mean, he's played mainly as a right-back as well as centre-half, but maybe he has played at left-back. Maybe that's in their thinking too, to an extent, given right. something to Kolasinac. But we shall see. My question to you was going to be, if I can now find it, it was about Aaron Ramsey. Oh, I've caught the bug. You've I've got it. The this is, we're having a disaster bug. here today on the question uh, finding. Right. 
Here we go. It's from Dan Butler, who's at Dan Butler 211. And Dan says, if the deal was possible, would you take exchanging Ramsey and Cash for Ousmane Dembele from Barcelona? Like, that doesn't solve our problem in the centre of midfield. No. You know, losing a really good central midfielder and bringing in a very good attacking player, it sounds uh, attractive, but I just wonder or worry that we don't have enough in in central midfield. I think if you're going to sell Ramsey, you need to bring in another central midfield player. What would that leave you with? It would leave you with sort of Shaka, Torreira, you know, maybe Ozil or Mkhitaryan if you were going to play that kind of system. Maitland-Niles. Maitland-Niles, Elneny. Ganduzi. Oh, problem solved, can do mm. <laughs> No, I, uh, yeah, you would be light, but you might change the emphasis of the team or the mm. squad. You might balance the squad slightly by having a wide player there. I can't imagine that Barcelona are going to allow a player they spent, what did they spend on him? A hundred and something million? Something mental. Like that, right. Yeah. So what do you, what do you, what sort of inroad into that fee would Aaron Ramsey make? With less than twelve months left on his contract, you could dress it up. Twenty-five. You could dress it up to whatever you want, but realistically, realistically you know, could Arsenal think- make up the the gap in cash to bring in Dembele? I don't think so. If we're scrambling around to fucking find cash for a twenty-nine-year-old centre half, how the fuck are we going to get enough cash, even if we throw in Aaron Ramsey, to bring in Dembele? First just, point. Yeah. I mean, look, I think Dembele it. would be. A- a good signing for Arsenal, obviously, because he's a hundred million pound winger. Um, but ah, it, it also that that question is all contingent on if Ramsey will sign. Yeah. You know, if you're telling me now Ramsey's not going to sign, do you want to do a deal where you get a good player in part exchange or whatever? I'd say sure, sure. But if we can make Ramsey sign a contract, I would like Ramsey to be part of the squad going forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just feels like. Well, it feels like he's made a decision to not sign this summer yeah. and to see where he is in January when legally he can mm. have a chat with Barcelona, mm. see what's on the table. Absolutely. Barcelona or any other club uh, across Europe who might feel inclined to sign a good player for free uh, mm. rather than pay a transfer fee for him this time around. Milan, that's when Gazidis' plan all comes to a head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, here's a question from Harpelius, who's at Manalicream. Manalicream, I don't know how you pronounce it, but uh, he says, is it realistic to think third to sixth place is up for grabs and Arsenal have a chance of claiming a spot just by being a tiny weeny bit less shit than last year? So we're, we're moving back towards a, a positive thing here. You know, is is it unrealistic to think that just by improving perhaps our away record, we could be more competitive when it comes to at least getting back into the top four. Well, definitely, if we improve our away record, we'll be better off. I think, um, look, City City are going to win the league, I think. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll, I know it doesn't sound like a particularly bold claim, but I think they're the best team. Uh, and I think Liverpool are getting closer. They're getting closer. But the, the rest of the sides are potentially vulnerable. You know, United, we're all hoping for the Mourinho implosion. Mm. Spurs haven't significantly improved during the summer. I know they've kept people, but they haven't brought many in. Uh, and there's talk that they'll lose 
Alderweireld as well, potentially. And then Chelsea, look, they're implementing a new, a whole new style upon the team. I know we're attempting to do the same, but if we can make improvements, I think it's there, it's there to be had. Mm. Um, I think that it's all about top four. You know, there's, no, there's not enough times I can reiterate that. I don't think Arsenal can win the league this season. Listen to the conversations we're having about the defence. Yeah. But I think we can get ourselves into the Champions League and be in a position then to maybe assemble a side that is a more realistic contender. Okay. Okay. Let me just throw this at you then. So we, we, we get back into the top four and we get that injection of Champions League money and we can bring in better players because better players... Uh, want to play uh, at Europe's top table. They want to be in the Champions League. So that opens up avenues for you to to do that. But you've spent £20 million on a 30-year-old centre-half or 29-year-old centre-half. Socrates will be 30. Vida, let's say he comes in, he'll be 30. Mustafi will be whatever he is. Um, Do you not have the same difficulty in trying to move those players on that we're facing currently with some of the other players we've got? Uh, yes, you probably do. Because they've you got probably- long contracts, decent wages. And they're not a great age to sell. Exactly. Uh, yes. Mm. I, I can't contend that that is potentially an issue. But Arsenal have adopted a more short-term strategy, haven't they? Yeah. Um, I mean, IBK, who's at IB Kenny on Twitter says, was our transfer strategy this summer a mistake? We bought really early and now we have to sell cheap as clubs know we're desperate to sell. Yeah. I'm not sure we're necessarily desperate to sell. Just, well, we've made ourselves desperate to sell now because we've decided that we need to do something with the centre of our defence. Um, and, and look, if Unai Emery, after the, the, the games that he's played and looking at the players, uh, decides, uh-oh, we really need to do something about the centre of our defence, then... I think we should do it rather than just not, you know, if, if, he, if he's identified a problem, then try and fix it as, as best you can. I don't think that's the issue. It's just that it's, it's come so late, but I, I just don't think the players that we are willing to sell are that desirable to other clubs. Yeah. You know, I just don't, you know, who's going to bang your door down for, for Joel Campbell or Carl Jenkinson or David Ospina or Lucas Perez. You know, decent players who can do a job, but, uh, you know, I think the disparity between Premier League wages and European wages is a significant factor here because it does make it difficult for players to leave because, you know, you're not going to go and take a 50% pay cut just because you're, you want to play football, especially not at, like, whatever age Lucas Perez is, 30 or whatever, you know, why would you? You've only got a few years left. So it's about whether or not Arsenal can make it attractive enough for someone like Lucas Perez to leave as well. You know? Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. I mean, it's got to be in his interest. Yeah. Know? Ultimately, we gave him that contract. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I do think it's interesting that there's the squad that we've assembled, even the manager to an extent, feels like one put together to get us back into the Champions League. And it'll be interesting once we arrive there, how able to cope with that level of competition we are. Mm. Um, but that is a problem for another day. And in many respects, I hope it's a problem that we, we have because we, we haven't done it yet. 
All right. Well, look, I think this week is going to be informative on many levels <laughs> as to yeah. where we are and where we're going into the new season. So we'll take one final question. Uh, this comes from Fred, who's at RLF86. He says, this season could be a rocky one. So what's the best breed of dog for hugging? Good question. Good question. I'm looking after a, a Rottweiler at the moment mm. and she will hug you. So if you lie on the floor, yeah, which frankly I'm doing a lot of the time at the moment, it's too hot to do much else. <laughs> she will kind of uh, come over and give you a, a very much a bear-like cuddle. It's quite extraordinary, actually. Um, so I find myself doing that quite often, really, just yeah. whenever I'm feeling down. Uh, so I might say, ah, Doreen the Rottweiler. Doreen She's the Rottweiler, yeah. Doreen, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously very predisposed towards German shepherds who... Are they good at hugs? Yeah, and yeah, they do like it. They do like it. Uh, but I think it's got to be a big dog, doesn't it? You That's know, it can't thing. be a Chihuahua or a Bichon Frise, you know, not to denigrate those uh, breeds for people who have them. Everyone loves their own dogs. But, you know, they're not the, the greatest for hugging. You need something to get your arms around. I tell you who looks like the cuddliest dogs to me. The, the you know, there's two breeds that really spring to mind as being really cuddly and they will be great for hugs. One oh. is the Bernese Mountain Dog, just because they're so big and fluffy and what have you. I'm Googling it because I, I couldn't tell you what it looked like. Uh, have a look at this. Wait oh, wow. I saw one just like this, actually. Maybe it was a Bernese Mountain Dog the other day. Yeah. They, I mean, I would love... I was about to say, I'd love to sleep with a Bernese Mountain Dog. What I meant was, you know, just I'd love to have a nice cuddle with one. Yes. And then the other one, the other one is a Leon Burger. Look up a Leon Burger. And tell me you wouldn't, you wouldn't go cuddling with one of those. Oh, wow. They've got such a thick coat. Yeah. Yeah. A really nice kind of of wintry feel. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like if you were... If you were somehow trapped in the cold, you could stay warm by just climbing under the Leon Burger, and they, they look they huge keep you warm. as well. They're, they're quite big. big, yeah. They're big dogs, big dogs. So nice dogs. I mean, yeah, either one of those would be pretty good. All right, maybe well, we should get. You know, I mean, you've got your dogs. I might have to get a dog to get me through this season. I'm going to yeah. be clutching it like. Arsene Wenger clutching Pat Rice on the bench <laughs> at West Brom. Everybody, uh, after you're finished listening to this podcast today, get yourself out and get a Bernie's Mountain Dog or a Leon Burger. You're going to need it this season, or both, indeed. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can. Uh, you, you can still hug dogs even when things are going uh, well in the season. So if everything is hunky dory and we're winning games and we don't need hugs for comfort to make us feel better, we can just have hugs for hugs' sake with dogs because why not? What a lovely message. Mm-hmm. And also, can yeah. I say, I know that we've sort of been a bit concerned about the defence, but I am excited for this season. We've waited such a long time for this, for, you know, a new manager, maybe a bit of a difference in the style of play, just the novelty of it. It promises to be a fascinating campaign for, for different reasons uh, yeah. to what we're normally accustomed to. So, yeah, yeah I am really looking forward to, to the opening weekend. Yeah, look, I think Unai Emery appears to be a very smart guy and, and everybody who's spoken about him and spoken about him as a coach talks about him in glowing terms. Um, so if I don't sound terribly excited about the opening game of the season, it's only because he's had such a short amount of time to work with these players and the opposition that we're facing is so strong. I do have a lot of confidence in him that during the season, he'll be able to work things out. You know, he will 
hopefully get this team more organized, um, better defensively. You know, he, he will drill things into them that need to be drilled in. You know, he's going to make them watch videos uh, as much as they might not want to do it. He's going to make them do those things. And hopefully over the course of, you know, the first three to six months of the season, it might be a bit up and down. But if he can find his way, then, you know, this is what it's about. It is about having a bit of patience and it is about um, being open to uh, losing a few games and not playing that well here and there until such time as he can really properly imprint on these players what he wants from them. So I am excited. I am concerned, but I am really excited as to how this season is going to progress. So... Um, if it has been a bit gloomy, sorry about that. It's not necessarily uh, meant to be doom and gloom. It is just, uh, I guess, realistic or my honest opinion and James' honest opinion of where we are and what we're doing. But it isn't to say that we're we're down on the way things are are, are happening at the at the club right now. No, no. There's a lot to be positive about, but there are, you know, as always, caveats to that. Um, mm. But if we beat Man City, I'll be saying we're going to win the league. So you know, of course. Of course. That's what it's all about. It's about get, getting carried away over the smallest little things and going crazy over the uh, the smallest little negative things. Isn't that how it works? That seems I think like, that's right. I think yeah. that's pretty much the plan. That's how it's worked. Okay, well, look, uh, thank you as ever for listening. We will have a Premier League season opening preview Arscast uh, on uh, Friday for you. And, of course, we've got transfer deadline day on Thursday. So keep an eye out on the uh, on the website on Arsblog News. We'll carry all the stories about potential deals in and out uh, on the site throughout the week um, until the next Arscast Extra, which will be next Monday, and we will be pouring over the Manchester City game, however it's gone. Take it easy. Have a good one. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.